0: Welcome to episode 180 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on January 8th, 2022. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tonell. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we have a lot of distro news. We've also got KDE's roadmap for 2022, and a new product from Pine64 has been announced. As of And also, of course, we're going to be talking about the latest release of the Linux kernel. All this and so much more are coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Before we get started this week, I wanted to let you know about a really cool thing that is happening right now. We have a podcast on the network that is being renamed, and that is DLN Extend, being renamed to Linux Out Loud, and we're going to also be doing a logo contest for anybody who would like to uh, submit a logo for the new podcast name. We're doing a community-powered logo contest, so you can submit entries uh, and get full details on the uh, forum thread that I'll have linked in the show notes, but you can submit it to comments at destinationlinux.org, and the entries will must include source files. Uh, and you can use whatever software you want, but we prefer it to be Linux accessible if possible. And uh, if we choose your logo and artwork, then you will receive a $100 gift card. And uh, also and entries need to be uh, submitted by January 14th. And uh, I, I look forward to checking out all the logos. And I hope you are going to be excited about this new change because I'm personally a fan of this name Linux out loud is such a cool name. And if you would like to participate in the logo contest, you will find links in the show notes below. And yes, in the chat room, someone asked, "Is th- so you're saying the abbreviation is LOL? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> <laughs> A first in the show this week is the latest release of the Linux kernel, which is 5.16. Well, technically it's not released yet, but it is slated to be released tomorrow, so I, d- I decided to assume that it will be released and cover it on the show anyway. And after all, you got to risk it to get the biscuit. So let's talk about the highlights for this latest release of the Linux kernel of 5.16. So the Futix 2 Futix Wait V has landed as a new system call that can help a uh, Wine and Proton slash Steam Play better emulate Windows games in an efficient manner by better matching the uh, semantics of the Windows kernel and this basically should yield some nice performance improvements for those kinds of things. Also, there's the newly announced Ryzen 6000 mobile processor support uh, should be in good shape with this release. This support has been working on its, in, into the mainline for the past few kernel releases, but they're now at a position where they say that the there's a good support for uh, DisplayPort 2.0, USB 4 display tunneling, runtime power manager for the XHCI controllers, audio support, and more. The Intel Alder Lake S graphics are also now considered stable and enabled by default. And Intel AMX support has landed. AMX standing for Advanced Matrix Extensions. And no, extensions does not start with an X, but the initialism does. The Raspberry Pi Compute Module 4 is now having mainline support with the latest kernel of 5.16. And we've also got some game controller Uh, support in the latest version, so the Nintendo Switch controller driver has been mainlined for supporting the Switch Pro and the Joy-Cons controller under Linux, and there's also some improved support for the PlayStation 5 Sony controller. And there's also been a lot of improvements to the ButterFS and other storage file system enhancements in this release of 5.16. The Realtek RT-89 Wi-Fi driver has been mainline for supporting newer Realtek wireless adapters. The Linux kernel now has mainline support for the 2021 Apple Magic Keyboard as well as some un- continued improvements for Apple Silicon or the Apple M1 hardware with USB, PCIe, and other bits uh, for the Linux 5.16. And they're also going to be having some more improvements coming in the next version with 5.17, of course, and so much more. If you like to learn more about what happened in the latest version of, of the Linux kernel with 5.16, I'll have a link in the show notes, provided that it actually is released tomorrow. If it isn't, well then, this will be relevant when it does release, so there's that. Up next in the show is the latest release of the Linux Mint distribution with 20.3. This has the latest Cinnamon release, also with 5.2 for the desktop environment, and it has improved Flatpak and printing support. They've also made some changes to the theme. So the design overall has larger title bars, bigger window controls, and also they have rounded the corners of various windows. And I think it does look nicer with the rounded corners. It looks more, makes it a little more modern. So that's uh, really nice to see. Also, Linux Mint 20.3 includes a brand new app called Thingy This is a document manager that provides quick access to favorite or recently opened documents. Additionally, it keeps track of your reading progress. So if you're using your reading document for like maybe an ebook or something like that, you can pick up exactly where you left off from the previous time, which is very cool. Uh, Mint's native media apps also now use a dark theme by default, which is always nice. I'm a big fan of dark themes. Uh, Calendar applet now shows calendar events from multiple sources, so if you have Gnome Calendar or Google Calendar, you can have them all the same time working through that, which is also really, really nice, and the run dialog also has some new styling to make it look more modern, and they've also done some improvements to, like, tuning up the animations for the different stuff, as well as many, many other things including some accessibility features, such as a new shortcut for activating the screen reader with Alt Super S. So much more in this latest release is also available in the details for the release notes. If you'd like to learn more about that, I have a link to those in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Elementary OS 6.1. This is the first point release of of the 6 series. This is 6.1 code name Yulnir and this is based on Ubuntu 20.04.3 LTS with the Linux kernel of 5.11. So some highlights of this latest release is that they've redesigned the quick window switcher such as the Alt tab shortcut that no longer relies on the dock to switch between apps. It uses a more traditional style switcher with a centered pop-up of icons and I think that there's a benefit of having that centered pop-up, but I do really like how it switched back and forth from the windows of the previous style so Maybe they could like do a mod like a modification of having like a hybrid of those things. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, they've also improved some uh, dialogue stuff, making animations on the dialogues. Also, they improved the file chooser portal, and they've improved the dark style of Elementary OS. Which, as I said, always nice to see a dark mode applied to everything because I prefer dark mode pretty much any time I can get it. So. Nice to see that improvements to the application menu as well showed up in this release. So when you do for searching for things, you can actually get new searches for bookmarked folders and locations, network shares, shortcuts, as well as a really interesting is the ability to launch apps with the dedicated GPU for hardware acceleration, which is just super interesting. Also, and another interesting change in this release is a housekeeping feature integrated in the settings app that lets you easily delete old temporary and trashed files to save storage space. The App Center Graphical Package Manager uh, received a lot of attention during this cycle, and it now has a revamped homepage with multi-touch support and features banners for the most recently released and updated curated apps, as well as they redesigned the category view, they improved the app pages, and they also added a new category for privacy and security. Uh, elementary now offers some of their apps as well for ARM 64 architecture. So for support on the Pinebook Pro or the Raspberry Pi Four, things like that, you could be able to use applications from the elementary team on distros that are not elementary. So that's really cool that they're making it more agnostic where those applications can run. The founder and CEO of Elementary, Danielle Foray, says that Elementary OS 6one Yulnir near is the result of much improved processes at Elementary, making larger strides in less time than ever before. Elementary OS 6.1 also has a lot of improvements to various Elementary apps, including many improvements to their settings apps and so much more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Elementary OS 6.1, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have some interesting news from Canonical, and that is that they are rebuilding SnapCraft, the tool that makes snaps. And they posted on a new Ubuntu blog post entitled The Future of SnapCraft. And this is, I actually had my fingers crossed when I was going into reading this because it said the future of Snapcraft, and I was hoping like maybe they're gonna switch over to Flatpak and give a a merged effort into improving the universal form. That's not what happened. So they're going to overall Snapcraft's, overhaul Snapcraft's architecture, which is essentially mean they're gonna rebuild the whole thing. And Canonical is going to make the current Snapcraft code base a legacy designation while they're working on their latest code in the new, more modular architecture. So the previous Snapcraft is more monolithic and they to make it more modular so they can do you know pick and choose and not have it so large of a project to build on stuff so at the moment they say it's at the stage of early proof of concept and it only covers some aspects of the snapcraft functionality but it did illustrate a relatively quick conversion to the new modular design uh end quote they don't expect it to interrupt the current snapcraft usage model which is good So for people who are using Snaps or developing Snaps, you can still do so uh, for the Core 18 and Core 20, uh, the the states that if a a project is still relying on those things, you can still use it, and it will continue to be able to be leveraged through the monolithic version of Snapcraft uh, until the transition is ready to switch over to the new code base. And they also say at the end of the blog post something kind of interesting that says, to boldly go where no one has gone before. This is true for Spacecraft as well as Snapcraft. Going forward, you should expect to see quite a few new, interesting developments in the product, all aimed at making things simpler, faster, and more robust and without adversely affecting the user experience. Now... It's good that they're going to do it in a transition period, like having the existing ones still work. And then when the new one is ready to then do it, because that could create some big problems with snap users, as well as the snap developers, if they or the people who make snaps for their applications, that would be a big problem if they weren't doing this gradual thing. So it is good that they're doing that, but to boldly go where no one has gone before. I'm pretty sure lots of people have actually, even universal formats have rebuilt their formats in a couple of times. I know the app images were originally called clicks and the flat packs were originally called XDG apps and other things. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's been half, it's happened before, even in the universal app formats space. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. If you'd like to learn more about the latest news from Canonical about the Snapcraft rebuilding, I'll have links to their blog post in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into the DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern and cloud native apps for way less money. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting for you. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images, all of this is supported on the app platform and you can let it do all the heavy lifting for you which is just awesome and by running the app platform on their own infrastructure DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than with other products and it's built on top of DigitalOcean kubernetes providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup as a listener of the this week in linux podcast and a member of the dln community you can get started for free with the app platform actually no better than free because they're going to give you a 100 free credit when you go to do.co slash dln again go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have some more Ubuntu slash Canonical news, and that is Canonical is looking to capitalize on the new interest that is in Linux gaming thanks to things like Valve Steam Play and Valve Steam Deck that is being getting a lot of people more interested in playing games on Linux. And so they're obviously, Canonical is interested and wants to make Ubuntu the best Linux desktop for gaming, quote unquote. And they also go on to say, we work with partners in the Silicon world to ensure the latest graphics drivers and tweaks are built in from optimal frame rates and latency, as well as with partners in the gaming industry to ensure that mechanisms such as anti-cheat capabilities are available to ensure fairness and product availability. Now, this is interesting because... They're they're working on trying to improve the support for the hardware. And one of the things about Ubuntu for gaming is that it's not typically known as being the best option for gaming because their hardware support is usually lagging a few months, even up to six months at times. So there are times who have like people who have hardware that's really new couldn't get support with Ubuntu because of that. So they have to wait for a new version of Mesa, a new version of the graphics drivers, uh, depending on like if the NVIDIA graphics drivers, also a new version of the kernel and things like that, which are not not quickly available in Ubuntu or any of the derivatives, except for Pop! OS that I know of, because I know Pop! OS makes their own updated version that uh, handles those kind of hardware enablements, which is great. Uh, but there are also other distributions that focus on improving that s- the support faster, such as Fedora and OpenSUSE and that kind of thing. So it's really interesting to see Canonical wanting to put some effort into this p- space. And they also are now hiring a n- person for a new role as the desktop gaming project manager for Ubuntu. And the, this, hopefully this could lead to some improvements to uh, the graphics driver support, the hardware support, and all that sort of stuff. I would like to see that uh, work to be done on like having some integrations and partnerships with like GPU vendors and uh, CPU vendors and that sort of stuff to see what could be improved for them. But at the moment, this is just like a plan to do this. So are they getting serious? Well, they're getting serious enough to make a job opening for it, but... We will have to wait and see what happens once this job is filled. So, but if you'd like to learn more about this, or if you would like to submit your application to be on this position, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have some news from KDE about the roadmap for KDE in 2022. So they talked about having, they're overhauling their Breeze icon set. They're also working on improvements to multi-monitor support, which is awesome because I always have multiple monitors. I actually was, I did have an ultra wide a little while, but I didn't really like it, so I switched back to multiple monitors. So I always like to see improvements there. And Plasma does have a solid experience with multi-monitor support, but it could be better. So I am excited for what's to come. They're also supporting improvements to the Wayland session. They're even saying that it might even be possible to completely replace the X11 session by default, and that would be awesome because there's been a lot of progress made for Wayland support in Plasma. Uh, and now that NVIDIA has added GBM support to their driver and KWIN already has supports for it, uh, Nate from KDE says that it, he refers to it as a stretch goal. And I hope they succeed in that stretch goal. There are so many awesome features that Wayland can bring that I am very much looking forward to the day that it does. And another thing I want to talk about from this roadmap is really interesting is the 15 minute bug initiative. So uh, Nate says that he started to calling this the 15-minute bug initiative as an effort to fix as many bugs as possible that are trivially encountered within the, a quarter hour of basic usage. So when you first install and set up Plasma and start using it, finding some issues here and there, maybe some paper cuts that can be improved. And these are the kinds of issues that you know form some permanent negative opinions in people's minds if they try to like they're expecting something and then they get something else and it kind of like throws them off and kind of taking those taking a, an, a an approach to looking at how they could fix those kinds of things, which is really cool because I think that's a lot, a very important thing to do. And they say that so far it's being limited to uh, plasma and plasma related software. Uh, to avoid getting overwhelmed by scope creep, which can totally happen if you put too much on your plate. Uh, But if it is wildly popular and successful, they'd say that they would love to extend it to the apps and the frameworks and that stuff. So I'm really excited about that. And the 15-minute initiative thing is a really interesting approach, especially because I think that there are like the first impressions is always important on anything, whether it's an application, a desktop, or whatever. It's always important to have, you know, the best foot forward kind of thing on a first impression. So if you like to learn more about the roadmap for KDE for 2022, you'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have a new product from the Pine64 team, and that is the PinePhone keyboard add-on has been released. So this is a keyboard case that attaches to your PinePhone or your PinePhone Pro when that comes out. And the cost is right now on a, di- a discount of $49.99. The retail price will be $69.99 when it goes back up. And this is a, essentially it's a, a hardware keyboard that you can attach to your phone. And what's cool about it is that it's not just a keyboard that attaches, it also, uh, provides provides its own battery and you can connect it so that you have a battery that can charge the phone itself. So you can use the the battery in the keyboard to kind of have like a boosted battery uh, backup kind of thing, as well as when you charge the keyboard, you will be charging the keyboard and the phone at the same time with one cable, which is really, really cool. So there's 54 keys on this keyboard, so plenty of options there. And you can even rearrange the keys if you want to, or you wanna move around things based on the layout. That maybe if you don't like the ISO QWERTY layout, you can make some changes here and there to improve that. And it has a 6,000 milliamp internal battery with a manual on and off toggle if you don't wanna use the battery. It also has USB-C for charging. And like I said, it's power. It's possible to power the case and the phone as well. They also have o- open and programmable firmware. Speaking of which, they have just announced that the uh, FWUPD, or FWUPDA, as I like to call it, it's FWUPD. As you can imagine, that's why I say FWUPDA. And this is a way to have uh, easy access to update the firmware on the PinePhone. So that's awesome. And there's a lot of other cool things about this. If you wanna check it out, I have links in the show notes below, but also quick note, not all of the mobile S's that support the PinePhone also support the case. So at launch right now, the keyboard is supported by PostMarketOS, Manjaro Linux, Danked Nix, I think that's how you're supposed to say it, and also Mobian. So if you use one of those, then you'll have support for the keyboard case. Otherwise, you'll have to wait a little bit for that support. If you'd like to learn more about this new add-on from Pine64, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Ubuntu Touch. So we got some more mobile Linux news. And this latest release of OTA 21 is based on Ubuntu 16.04 LTS. It has a lot of cool highlights to talk about. So first first of all, we have a redesigned greeter. So the entry screen for pin and password has been completely redesigned to make it look more modern. They have a new font installed. And also there's a new magnetometer and compass plugin for all Halium 9 and later based devices. And they've added the ability to clear the list of recent or missed calls. The UbiPort devs say that most notably the style of the greeter has improved significantly to give a more modern and slick appearance and it shows a different style depending on if they use a pin or password to unlock and there's also some improvements to the storage overview page in system settings. This has been revamped in OTA 21 to better detail how much space is being occupied by Ubuntu Touch core files and also the system partition layout. And they've also made a lot of improvements to various different things, including some important stuff like the MMS support to now allow uh, Ubuntu Touch to notify users to re-download an MMS message if it wasn't received properly the first time, and a lot more. So if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of OTA 21 from Ubuntu Touch, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, it provides you a bunch of different tools such as a secured vault to store your passwords in, an auto-generator to generate passwords for you, and also even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. And you can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's a web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, or even on the command line if you want to do that. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, which is very important because it means you know you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash to get started. And you can also get started for free, but I think you wanna check out that premium account because you can get a ton of great stuff for less than a dollar per month. That's right. Less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. They also have family plans and business plans that are just fantastic. And if you get an enterprise plan, you can actually get a bunch of free family plans for all of your employees. So much cool stuff with Bitwarden. So check it out. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have an update for the Heroic Games Launcher, which is the version 2.0.0 has been released. Now, this is a games launcher for Epic Games, allowing you to play games in an easier way because there actually is another project that is being used in the back end called Legendary. And Legendary is a command line tool that allows you to launch games and that sort of thing. They've updated that to version 0.20.22. And this is the Heroic Games Launcher is a front end to the Legendary tool, and this is really cool because it makes it a lot easier to do uh, epic games games on linux because for some reason epic games doesn't have the store available on linux because uh epic epic games is uh Anyway, there's a new layout with a sidebar instead of a nav bar for this latest release. They also have redesigned the game pages. Also, there's a new login system, so you you no longer need to use an SID. You can log in directly from the Epic Store inside of Heroic. And they've also changed how games are installed. They've made some improvements to the game log, so it will now contain system information and game settings so that you could, if you need to do any kind of support or debugging, you can have that information there for accessibility for that. Also, they've added buttons to clear Heroic cache and also reset heroic launcher if you want to entirely so lots of cool stuff they've also done some like refactoring, improvements optimization for better in performance for the cpu and ram so much more stuff if you want to check it out i'll have links in the show notes but no but no what i'll have links in the show notes below uh sometimes speaking is hard <laughs> we got some more gaming news to talk about, and that is Super Tux. Super Tux has been around for a long time. It's basically like a 2D platformer Mario type of game. This latest release is 0.6.3. I think it's been around since 2004. And this latest release has a lot of cool stuff. They actually have been added to Steam. Uh, It's not technically playable. It's in early access right now from Steam, but you can download the regular ones. Uh, You can even play this game directly in a browser if you want to, uh, which is really interesting. And they've added some new features. Such as wall jumping, swimming. They up- updated the animations. They have an the add-on creator to create uh, easily create add-on packages for Super Tux. They've also uh, made it possible to have optional integration with Discord and so much more. Like the amount of work is impressive that's been put into Super Tux over the years. So if you've never heard of Super Tux, there's Super Tux and Super Tux Kart. Super Tux Kart is a racing game. Super Tux is the Mario 2D scroller kind of thing. So if you're interested, I have links in the show notes below for SuperTux 0.6.3. Next in the show is the latest release of Garuda Linux 220101 has been released. There's some new tools, some new community edition stuff, also performance improvements. This latest release is also codenamed White-Tailed Eagle. And with the new community edition, they actually have a version that is now based on the Cinnamon desktop environment. And there's this new tool that I really want to talk about because there's a new ButterFS assistant tool. And this was split from the Garuda assistant utility into a new graphical application that's more specific to ButterFS, which makes it easier to control and manage your ButterFS file systems. Now, this ButterFS assistant tool has features like restoring snapshots with nested sub-volumes under them, also the ability to restore snapshots even if their sub-volumes are mounted, which is cool, and I hope that the goal of this split into a specific tool is to make it so that more distros can use this tool, like a, a distro-agnostic tool, because this sounds like a great opportunity to provide a tool with many other distros that could benefit from it. And they also updated the Garuda system maintenance utility. So it's now capable of informing users about uh, partial upgrades of their installations, uh, up out of date systems. If they haven't applied updates in more than two weeks, they'll be notified. I mean, of course, the notifications can be turned off if you want to. Uh, it's It's optional. But they are there, and I think that's a good idea because a lot of people are, you know, wanting to get notifications about their distribution having updates because not everybody's going to be paying attention to the latest releases if, they ha- if there are new things in this way to notify them that there are some things to get. Uh, there's also a new another new community edition, which is KDE-GIT edition. This is interesting because it provides like a bare bones ISO for those who want to follow the KDE Plasma desktop environment development a lot more closely. So it's based on the Git packages from the chaotic AUR, but it's, it's, of course this is not meant for everybody. It's meant for uh, experienced users or people who really want to do some like testing of like beta testing of the development stuff, because there's also a Garuda bare bones edition, but that's like, that's not the same thing because it's, That's just more of like it's more minimal as an approach. And this is more for beta testing because it's bare bones and also from Git. So there you go. And they've also decided to drop the performance tweak tool from the default installation. And the performance tweak tool is interesting to drop it because they're be switching to the Power Profiles Daemon, which is used is going to be used in the KDE Plasma edition as also the the GNOME edition. And the Power Profiles Daemon is a new, uh, more modern approach to managing the power management inside of the system. So it's really nice to see that. But if if, if possible, they could install the performance tweak tool if they if they wanted to. Uh, for depending on like what kind of hardware you have, so if you do need, if you do want to use it, you can. But I think it's really cool that they're switching to the power profiles daemon. And if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Garuda Linux twenty two zero one zero one, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release from Gecko Linux, which is an open SUSE based distribution. They have new releases for the rolling and static editions. Uh, for rolling nine 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 point two two zero one zero five tumbleweed edition. So it's based on tumbleweed with a rolling and the static release is based on leap 15.3 edition. And it is the version number of 153.220104. Now it seems like a lot of numbers, but it's actually just the uh, 999 implying it's a rolling. So it's always going to be 999. And then the 153 is 15.3 of leap. And then the other numbers afterwards are the year, month and day that the release is made. So it does make sense, even though it's a lot. It looks like just a bunch of numbers, but it does make sense. Uh, so this has been in development for about seven months, and there's some new features, and there's also some improvements to the desktop environments for like the latest updates for those. Also, many other improvements. The Gecko Linux Rolling Edition is based on OpenSUSE Tumbleweed and has updated the in desktop environments such as uh, Kitty Plasma 5.23.4 is included, GNOME 41.2, uh, XFCE 4.16. LXQ 1.0, Cinnamon 5.2.4, and others. And they're also deciding to switch the uh, to Pipewire by default, which is really cool. And they've also included a customized out-of-the-box configuration for it. The developer from uh, Gecko Linux says that this Pipewire configuration allows for hassle-free workflows involving simultaneous usage of applications that are coded to work with Pulse Audio and others that need jack support with no complicated bridging of the two systems. Now, this is basically because Pipewire provides this functionality because Pipewire is just awesome. And I can't wait to see more distributions put in the effort to support the uh, various different implementations of Pipewire that you can do. You can have the jack features, you can have pulse audio features, there's so much cool stuff you can do with Pipewire. So I'm really happy to see more and more distributions uh, adding Pipewire by default. Now, there are some distributions that still have some issues. Like for example, if you are using anything Debian based, when when you see Pipewire as an option, it's not really gonna be pipewire. There's some very big limitations in those, but for example, the Jack stuff doesn't really work right now in Debian. So if you want to truly experience Pipewire, you need to try something like Fedora. Even Arch is possible, uh, or Gecko Linux, maybe OpenSUSE, so things like that. There are many distribution distributions to try PipeWire, but if you want to try it without like very little like, getting started, uh barrier to entry. Fedora has it there by default, so I would check I would check that out if you want to do that. Now, Gecko Linux also now integrates the Grub bootloader with ButterFS and Snapper snapshots, which allows for essentially snap, uh, snapshots, rollbacks without manual intervention to the Grub bootloader, and also now for the default ButterFS sub-volume layout. So there's a- also a lot more stuff in Gecko Linux, and if you'd like to learn more about it, I'll have links in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you're new to the show, you might not notice that we did some changes to the UI. If you're also just listening to the podcast, you wouldn't, it would not be very impressive if you notice the changes. But I made some changes to this this episode in honor of it being episode 180. I flipped the visuals. So they'll be flipped back for 81. But I thought that was kind of funny because it's a, I did a 180 on the UI of the, of the show. Anyway, if you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics or just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post show. You can also support the show by ordering a Linux Everywhere t-shirt or a, the List This Week in Linux shirt at the deal store. Dot com. Plus, there's also a bunch of other stuff like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more, dealinstore.com. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux network. So, and also just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, or U.S. Eastern, and I think 1800 UTC. I don't remember which, I think it's 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the Linux GNU's each and every week by going to dlinlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux GNU's.